Good morning. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. My name's Matt. If we haven't met, I am the uh, student ministry director here at Church in the Valley. Come on in. There's plenty of seats. It's great to see you. I am kicking off the, a new series called Pressure Points, which I'm really excited about. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be really helpful, I think. Uh, it would be great for all of us if in the pressure points in life there was some sort of instruction manual that could show us how in the middle of the pressure as Christians we could choose faith instead of fear. And that's why James, who is the half-brother of Jesus and the first pastor of the first church in history in Jerusalem, that's why he wrote his letter, and we call it James. Uh, James, uh, he died for his faith, and before he did, he collected kind of his greatest hits, uh, his sermons and teachings about how this church that was going through just a lot of really, really hard things, how they could make sense of it, where was God in it, and how could they choose faith and have hope through it. And so we're going to be looking at this book over the next six weeks, and I think it's going to be really helpful because the, the pressure points that they dealt with are pressure points that we deal with. And so this week we're going to be looking at when you're enticed. We're going to be looking at when, when you, you go through temptation and trial. Uh, the next week we're going to be looking at, um, uh, could you pull it up on the screen here? Sorry. Oh, that's okay. If you could put it up here. My notes on the screen are that that's right. When you're challenged to act, uh, we get in situations where we have to take action, but we hesitate because it may not work out the way we want it to work out. Um, the next one is uh, when your faith is lacking. Uh, we all find ourselves in situations where it just seems like I don't have the faith to do what I need to do. Uh, what, what do we do? James is going to talk about that for that week. The next one is um, when you open your mouth. In the middle of the pressure, it's really easy to say something that could really hurt the situation. It's very difficult to choose the right attitude in the middle of it. And so through James and through this book, we're going to be looking at in the middle of that pressure, how do you say things that actually takes a bad situation and makes it good? After that, we're going to be looking at when you're in conflict. We all face conflict. We all go through problems and challenges and fights. And in the middle of that, God wants to help us choose faith so that the situation works out for good. And then finally, when you want justice, all of us have been both the um, victim of and the perpetrator of injustice. We, we've been treated poorly. We've treated people poorly. And in this world, there's injustice. And as Christians, we really want justice. And God wants to use us to be conduits of justice in this world. But when you're not being treated fairly, what do you do? How do you choose faith? These are practical. These are real. Everybody deals with these. And so I, I look forward to the series, and I hope you'll come back each week. And I hope you'll bring your family and your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors because everybody is going through pressure points. The people in your life are going through hard things, and we want them to have the hope and the help that God has for them, and your invitation for them to come here and join us. That invitation may be the thing that God uses to come into their life and really help them, and so it may be one of the most important things you do this year. So I really want to encourage you to think, who can I invite? Who can I bring back next week to come be a part of this new series? Uh, today we're going to be looking at, like I said, we're going to be looking at when you're enticed. When you go through temptation and trial, if you're like me, you probably said at some point, why is this happening? I'm praying. Why is God letting this happen to me? I, I, I can't handle this anymore. Or maybe as a Christian, you've looked around at other people's lives and you're saying, well, why, why is God not testing them the way he's testing me? Maybe you've gone through a test and you've been tempted, you've been enticed and you've sinned and you feel bad. And you're like, well, if it didn't go through the hard thing, it just wouldn't have happened. Why is God letting this happen to me? These are real questions. In fact, it's one of the reasons why some people, they don't, they don't believe in God. They don't 
They don't trust God. They may not even like God because they went through something where they felt like they reached out to God in some way and they didn't get the answer that they wanted. It didn't go the way they thought it should have gone. And through it, they didn't come out the other side, in their opinion, stronger. They came out the other side hurting. And if your perspective is off, if you don't understand trial and testing and temptation as it really is, it's very discouraging. But if you understand what God is doing through it all, why we have it, it actually gives you hope. It helps you to take this bad situation and with God's help, turn it into a good thing. So we're going to be looking at that today. So the first thing I'd like us to do is just start where the Bible starts. Because trial, trouble, difficulty, suffering, all the things we deal with, the pressure points, trial is a part of this world. And the question is why? I mean, we don't want it to be the case. And when you read the Bible cover to cover and you look at where we started and where we're going to end up, God gives us perspective that we need to to properly orient ourselves in the middle of trial. And the perspective that God gives us is that he started us off in the garden. He started us off, he created the human race to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and to love our brothers and sisters as we love ourselves. He put us on a good earth to do good work with our good God forever. That's what God wanted for us. That was his intention. It was going to be great. Everything your heart aspires to, that was what he wanted for us. But he gave us a choice. God, he didn't force this relationship on us. He wanted us to choose it. And so in our hometown, he placed a choice. He placed a tree. And the tree, he said, don't eat this tree. This tree will bring death. It'll bring trouble because I'm the source of life. And if you eat this tree, you're breaking off from me. But every day you don't eat that tree, it will be an expression of your faith, your trust, your devotion to me. When you don't eat the tree, you'll be saying, I trust you. I love you. I know you're good. I know you're not keeping the best life from me. And that's what the first man, the first woman did for the first maybe week, month, year. I don't know. But eventually another person showed up in our hometown and he told a different story. He said that God was a liar, that God wasn't good, and that he was holding back the best life from us and that we should eat, that we should eat the fruit. And so we did. And when we did, death entered this world and the suffering and the pain and the diseases and the war, and the selfishness, and the pride, and the decay, and the cancer, and all the things you hate, all the bad things in this world, they are descendants of that first disobedience. But God is not done with us. He's not done with the human race. He has decided to rescue us, and he is going to finish the story the way it started. He's going to take from this fallen, dying humanity and create a new human race. He's doing this through his son, Jesus. And if you read the end of the Bible, at the end of the Bible, you see a new people, a new human race, a new family of God. And they do love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they do live on a good earth. And they do do good work with their good God forever. And that's where we're going. So how's God going to get us there? How are we going to go from where we are in the trial, in the trouble, in the pressure points to where he wants us to be? The answer is God is going to use trials. He's going to use them to, to transform us. He's going to use trials to perfect us and to prepare us. Trial and the difficulty we face is one of the key ways that God changes us and makes us the people he always wanted us to be. And when you understand that, it's not easy. You don't like trial. It's not fun, but it makes sense. And this is James's perspective when he writes his book, because the church that, that he was the pastor of, these people were being murdered. They were being arrested. Their families were leaving them. They were losing their jobs, losing their money. And in the middle of that, how do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of things in your life that are hard? 
The way that God helps us understand it is we had something great. We lost it, but God is restoring us to it and trials are a part of it. He's going to use them to help us. And so today we're going to start with why am I tempted? Why am I tested? And how do I pass the test? So we're going to read the first chapter and the first paragraph of the book of James. And so we're going to start with James 1, chapter 2 through 4. And it says this. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. The first thing you learn is that testing is for training. Testing is for training. Let me ask you a question. How would you get a football team ready for a long and grueling season? Practice. You got to put them in the ringer. It's called hell week. Three days, full pads, in the sun. But that's how they get through that November month and maybe win the championship. How are you going to prepare an army to, to storm the beaches of Normandy and rescue Europe from Hitler? Kurahi, right? Boot camp. If you watch Band of Brothers, these guys, the first two episodes, they're just getting hammered. And the reason why is the testing trains them and makes them stronger. And when they hit the beaches of Normandy and they're in the winters in Baston, they don't bail because they have strength that they've developed through the testing. How are you going to get ready for a marathon? You do it step by step, lap by lap, mile by mile until you're ready to run the whole thing. God wants to make you strong. Because he has work for you to do if you are a part of his family. See, God is working in this world. He's doing work. He has an occupation. And he's building things. And he's restoring things. And he's working justice and good. And he wants you to come alongside him as as your father. And he wants you to take part in the family business. And that means there's work for you to do. You're going to need to step forward when other people step back. You're going to have to grab a hold of it when other people want to let go. You're going to have to speak up when other people want to be quiet. And that's going to take big faith, strong faith. So how is God going to make your faith strong? Through the testing. There's a great clip from one of my kids' favorite movies, which is Captain America. Captain America, before he was the big, strong, fast, tough Captain America, was this little scrawny guy named Captain Rogers. And he wanted to do big things. He wanted to help people. He wanted to fight the Nazis. But in order to become a new human being, the kind of human being that had the strength to do good things... He had to go through an incredible test. He had to get in this box that turned the heat up. And at a critical moment, everybody was saying, turn it off, turn it off, it's too much, make it, make it stop. And if he stopped, he wouldn't become the person that he needed to be to do the good things that he was destined to do. But if he endured, he would be. Let's see the choice that he makes. Today, we take not another step towards annihilation, but the first step on the path Peace. We begin with a series of micro-injections into the subject's major muscle groups. The serum infusion will cause immediate cellular change. And then, to stimulate growth, the subject will be saturated with vital rays. Serum infusion, beginning in five, four, three, two, one. 
promised to stop. Me? It's probably too late to go to the bathroom, right? We will proceed. watch that for the rest of the sermon. Uh, I love that movie. Uh, that's a great scene. The heat turns up. It's really, really painful. He's screaming out and they're like, turn it off. And what's he say? I can take it. Don't stop. Now, James, he says that this is exactly how we need to respond to the trial. Again, if you look back at the verse, James one, verse two through four, uh, you can see that it says, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You've got to endure. You've got to take it. You've got to choose to trust God and faith in God and believe in God again and again and again. It just gets hotter and hotter. And it's like, okay, I'll believe him one more time. And then it'll be better. And then it's hotter. And you're thinking about bailing. But if you endure, if you keep trusting this person who loves you, when it's done, when you pass the test and the doors open to the box, you will have become stronger in your faith. And you will be ready to do the work that God has for you to do. Testing is for training. The second thing is testing is for transformation. Testing is for transformation. In James 1.12, just a little bit beyond the verse we just looked at, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to who? To those who love him. You see, like I said, and like the Bible has said, God is creating a new humanity that loves him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and loves their neighbors as themselves. That's where we're ending up. That's what perfection means. We love people the way God loves people. We love God the way he loves us. 
And God is using testing to transform you. And here's why. Every test is a choice. Every test is a choice. I can love and I can do what I want or I can love and trust God. I can let go of the thing that I want, the way I think things have to be, and I can trust God and do it his way, or I can hold on to it. Every test is a choice. And when I choose to love God and do what God wants and to believe in him and to step over here in obedience, and I don't listen to my desire and I don't listen to my fear, my heart is transforming. It's clicking into one more degree of glory, what the Bible calls from glory to glory. You see, we will end there perfect, but we are becoming more and more that way through every single test. So testing is for training, but it's also for transformation. The next thing is testing leads to life. Testing is the road back to the garden. It's the road back to the home that we were created for. Testing is for training. If you look at this verse, you can see a process. It says trial comes and then you have this choice to trust and put your faith in God or to follow some other desire. And if you choose to trust God and do what he wants and believe that he's good and that he's going to take care of you, you're going to get more heat like Captain America. And that means you have to endure. You have to be steadfast. You have to be persevering. But if you hang in there and you keep trusting God every step by step by step, when the box opens, you'll be strong, mature, ready for the work that God has for you to do and God has, if, you, if you've been born again, if you've been created anew by Jesus Christ, then God has work for you to do. You, every one of you, no matter what your age is or what your background is or what you think of yourself and the kind of Christian you are, God, your Father, has work for only you to do in your family, with your friends, at your job, tomorrow when you go to the gas station. You don't know what your Father has set up for you, but he's going to prepare you and make you ready to do that good work through the testing where you, where you grow your faith. And then that eventually leads to life. It says that he'll place upon you the crown of life. Now, the crown is not gold. The crown is not diamonds. The crown is not rubies. The crown is life. The crown is being able to go back to the new life in the new world in the near future. And so this is a picture. There's a path to life, and it goes through testing. But what about temptation? I am tempted, and I sin, and I totally blow it because I'm going through the pressure. I mean, if I didn't go through the pressure, I probably wouldn't have done it. So what's going on? I mean, I thought when I became a Christian, it was supposed to get better. I thought God liked me. Why is he letting this happen? Why am I being tempted? And what you see is that you could easily start thinking that God is the one who's tempting you. But James warns us, don't, don't go in that way. Don't, don't, don't believe that. He says in James 1, 13 through 16, he says, or maybe it's 15, I can't really see, 15. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself, he tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away, enticed away, seduced away by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to a little baby, and her name is Sin. And when she gets big and she grows and becomes fully bloomed, she has a baby, your grandchild, and his name is Death. This is a different path. Now, what does this teach us? What this teaches us is that trials are the occasion for, but not the cause of temptation. Trials are the occasion for, but not the cause of temptation. Look, if I have a chance to choose and obey, trust God, I also have a chance to go the other direction. 
If I have the opportunity to do great good, I also have the opportunity to do great evil. When I face a trial, that's an occasion for me to choose to love and faith God. But it's also an occasion for me to be tempted and to cave. So where does the temptation come from? What does James say? Temptation comes from within, not from above. It comes from within, not from above. What, what does he mean? Well, he says, you see, you have desires. Now, these desires are normal. They're good. The word is epithumio, epi, like epicenter, like the hot beating core of a volcano. Epicenter, these epi-burning, passionate desires, these things we really, really want. We've got to have them. If we don't have them, if it doesn't work out this way, if they don't stop, if they don't start, if I don't get this, if this doesn't work, I can't be happy. I can't be happy. I won't be okay. This is what it takes for me to be happy in life. We have all these desires in our hearts, and that's the thing that God is curing us of in this life. We love things more than God. We wrap our hearts around things more than God. We make them our little gods. These are good things like food and sleep and rest and security. Those aren't bad. Those are good. But when these good things become God, they become idols. And so you see, what, what James is saying is, when you have this situation and you have a chance to choose to trust God, you're also going to have to let go of your desire and trust him to take care of you. Now, I don't know. And then she starts whispering to you. The word says your desire starts to entice you. It starts to seduce you. It starts to lure you. These words, this enticing, what it is, is it's a, it's a kind of spiritual adultery. Now, here's what I mean. The children of Israel, if you read the whole Bible, there was a people named Israel. And the Israelites, they entered into a covenant with God to love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to obey his commands. And God entered into covenant with them to take care of them. It was kind of like God was the husband and they were the bride. But they constantly wandered off after pleasures and possessions and positions and all these idols, and they constantly turned their back on God and put created things above the creator. And God called that something. He gave that a name. He called that spiritual adultery because they were cheating on him with these evil desires. That was the idea, and that's what James is saying here. You see the desire, she whispers to you. She says, Matt, it's been a long week. You're tired. You're about to walk in your house, and three crazy boys are going to jump on you like a jungle gym. And they're going to want you to get on the ground and wrestle and talk and play and pour out every last little bit of energy you have. And you don't want to do that. You're tired. You had a long week. You worked hard. You worked hard this week. You need rest. You need rest. You should go in the garage and just, just, watch, just watch a movie. You could read your Bible. Then it would be okay. It would be like real spiritual. Remember you had a headache today? You had a headache. Tell your family you had a headache because it's legitimate. I mean, you would play with your kids, but you had a headache. So it will be okay. Just a little rest. You don't need to play with those kids. Now, I hear these desires call to me. Rest isn't bad. Rest is good. But God is also calling to me. And he's saying, Matt, I'm your father, and I love you, and I pour myself out for you. And I want you to love and pour yourself out for your kids but God, if I do that, I'm not going to be taken care of. That's the faith, right? And he says, no, no, I will take care of you. But I really want to rest and rest is legitimate desire. And she's like, no, he won't take care of you. He's not going to take care of you. And I have to make this choice between these two desires. Now, if I go into the garage or if I go off and take care of myself, the expense of my kids, I go from temptation, the offer, the seduction, hey, come here, come do this, to sin because I've chosen it. I've decided. I've said yes to it. And what James says is there's a second process. He says that sin, well, he says that desire listened to 
It leads to temptation, and temptation leads to sin. And if I do it again and again and again, it gives birth to a grandchild. And that grandchild is death. And we all know this is true. Look, if you love drugs and alcohol more than you love God, more than you love people, then you're going to probably die sooner. I have relatives who pickled their livers and had to have quadruple bypasses because they loved alcohol. They lost their marriage. They lost their families. It's a horrible thing. It led to death. If you love your career, you love your career. Careers are great. Working hard is great. Doing good work is great. But when that becomes your God and you sacrifice your marriage on the altar and your kids on the altar and your walk with God on the altar and your ministry on the altar because you've got to have this great career because that's where you find your meaning in life. At the end of your life, you will have a career, but you will have nothing else. It will kill. It will kill everything else. And if I walk in the house and I say to my kids, ah, I can't do this right now, and I do it again and again and again and again, when I walk down the road, when my kids are old enough to not have to be around me, they may not want to be. I want my three boys to want to be around me when they don't have to be. And that means I need to love them. But that means I have to give up my desire. Who's going to take care of me? This is the pressure point. This is the faith. And so you have two choices. You have the path to death and you have the path to life. So how do you pass the test? How do you pass the test? Because it's really hard. Well, something you see as you read James is that you have to think, you have to choose to think about God's goodness and not the devil's deception. You need to wrap your mind and, and you've got to preach to yourself. The way I'm preaching to you, you've got to preach to yourself the truth about God's goodness and not the devil's deception. James says in James 1, 16 through 18, he says, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Don't wander off. My beloved brethren. He says, every good gift, every perfect gift, it's from above. It's coming down from the Father, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see, God, when he created heavens and earth first, he created man second at the beginning. But in the new creation, he's creating man first and the heavens and the earth second. And we're the first fruits. We're the first new creation of the world to come. And God is saying, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. You're loved. God is good. Now look, my heart, this culture, our enemy is going to constantly tell us we cannot trust God. He's not good. He's going to burn us. And we should listen to our desires. But what this verse is telling us is that God is good and he doesn't play favorites. That's what he doesn't change like shifting shadows means. Look, when I read the Bible, And I read about how God helped Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how he carried Israel out of Egypt, how he strengthened Samson, how he answered the prayers of Hannah, how he strengthened David, how he saved Daniel, how he worked with Paul and Paul and Paul and Paul. Why am I saying Paul a bunch of times? I'm going to take a drink of water. As he worked with Paul and Peter, uh, as he worked with, uh, when I look at the Bible and I see God doing good things for people, he's the same guy to me. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't change. He doesn't treat this Christian really good, but me, no, not so much. And when I walk with all of you and you walk with me and we walk together and we see each other going through really hard things and we we encourage each other to trust a good God and we watch him walk you through it and we watch him bring you out on the other side and we watch how that strengthens you and transforms you, it shows me that that could be me. That he's good and he's not going to rip me off. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. And you're beloved. You're beloved. 
What does that mean? That means he really likes you. He loves you. When he sees you, he's like this. He's like this when he sees you. You know, it's easy to think that God's mad at you, that, that he's kind of got this kind of pose, right, because you did something wrong, and he likes you when you're good, but he's mad at you when you're bad. But he's not like our worldly fathers. It's not like me. He loves you. He, he likes you. He, he couldn't be more delighted with you because of what Jesus has done. And so when you come to God, you can run. You can boldly come to the throne of grace with confidence that God is going to give you what you need and mercy because he loves you. You're beloved. That's what he said. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. He's reminding the church of who they are in relationship to God. And finally, remember the big story. It's really important when you're in the middle of the fire, when you're in the box like Captain America, that you keep your mind on all the good things that are coming because that helps you endure. And again, this is about you preaching the truth to yourself. This is why we truth and love in the church, constantly keeping the truth in front of one another so that we can endure the tests. The second thing you need to do if you want to pass the test is very practical. You have to say, pray, and obey every step of the way. Say, pray, and obey every step of the way. What this means is, is when I walk up to the door and I'm feeling exhausted and I had a hard day and I just want to go get me time, I say to God, I want that. God, I just want to rest. I don't want to play with the kids. I don't want to pour myself out. I just want to rest. And then I say, but I know what you want. I say what God wants. I know you want me to trust that you're going to give me refreshment as I love my children the way you love me. I'm going to I know you want me to do that, but I don't want to do that. I know you want me to do that, but I want, please give me help to do this. And then you step out in obedience. You go do it. You go do it, and God will give you what you need. And the reason why you know God will give you what you need, beyond the people whom God has given what they needed, is that he says he will. In James 1.5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously. He's so generous, and he will give it to you without reproach, and it will be, and it will be given to him. You lack wisdom, you lack power, you lack strength, you, lack, you don't know what to do, you lack patience. Whatever you're lacking that you need to trust and obey God, whatever you're lacking to choose faith, he will give you. He will make you able to do what he wants you to do. And so you ask, you ask. This happened the other day. I was being tempted, totally tempted. And I, it was right there. And I was practicing this message and preparing this message. And so what a hypocrite if I just like, you know, decided to cave and I was wrestling with it and I was by myself and nobody, you know, and, and I said, God, I don't, I want this, but I'm going to trust you with that. And please help me. And then I took a step away from it toward obedience. And it was like, imagine like a little bitty flame, like a candle and someone just dumped a bucket of cold water on it. It just went away and God helped me. That's just a little example of a practical way you say, pray and obey. Just a real quick example. Now, the last two things I'd like to say about this is, is one, he's never going to quit on you. You may be thinking that when you, okay, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go stand the test, and you get in the box, and then you cave to desire, you cave to temptation, and you sin. I'm not encouraging you to do that, but you may. And you may be thinking, well, this is the last time. God, God doesn't say that. He doesn't say this is the last time. He never quits on you. He will be with you, and he will help you all the way through to the end. And he says so in Philippians 1.6. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to finish until you return home to where he always wanted us to be. And the second thing, and I love this, he picks fights we can win. He's picking fights you can win. 
A good trainer in boxing doesn't put you in the ring with the heavyweight champ so he can mop the floor with you. He finds where you are, and he puts you with somebody a little bit stronger, and then he trains you up, and then you fight, and you see if you can, if you can win. God is never going to put you. He's never going to allow you to face. He's never going to let you to go through a trial, the temptation, the test that he will not help you succeed in. He's never going to let you fight in a fight you can't win. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. All the human race deals with the trials because of the fall. But God is faithful. For those of you who walk with God, for those of you who love him, for those of you who become his children, he's faithful. And he will not let you be tempted. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, you may think that you don't have the ability, but your father knows your real ability. And he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when you're tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, if you're going through something hard right now, it's been a month, it's been a year, it's been a limp that you've had to kind of walk with a long time, you may be thinking, like, I just, I can't do this. But if you have been born again, if you are one of God's children, if you've chosen to enter into that covenant relationship with him, which he's freely offering to everybody, then you know that if you're going through it, that he's going to help you. And you can get through it with his help. It's for your training. It's for your transformation on your road back to life. So this gives me hope. A lot of hope is on the horizon. First for you. Hope for you is this. You can do it. With God's help, you can say like Captain America, I can do it. And when, I don't know when, but when the doors open, you're going to be stronger. And the work in front of you, the good things that God wants you to do, you're going to be able to do it. That's a great thing. Number two, there's hope for your family. I did not grow up in a, in a Christian home. And I, I struggle with a lot of different sins and a lot of different habits and a lot of different bad things. But as I go through testing, as my wife and I go through testing and we trust God and he transforms us, my children are going to start ahead of me. And Lord willing, as I walk with God and I trust him through the trial and my son sees me go through the box and he sees how to trust God and walk with God, he will be able to pass that on to my grandkids, Lord willing, and my great grandkids. And I want me and my wife to be a foundation for the future generations of Sprinkles to walk with God, trust God and be blessed. Don't you? For those of you who are men, don't you want to be the men that your great, great grandkids look back at and say, that was the guy who got really serious about God. And it was hard and he faced so many trials, but he totally endured. And my dad told me about it. And my great, great grandfather told me about it. You want that. And God, he's offering that to you as you trust him through the trial. There's hope for our city. We want to move our church. We want to be able to reach out to the people who are going to be coming into Chino. Chino's all dairy farms and they're going to be flipping over into houses, and that's going to be thousands of people. And we don't know necessarily where and when, but we hope, we hope that one day, that, that when all those people over there and all the people around where we live in Diamond Bar and wherever we're at, the people in the cities that we're at, we hope that we can bring them to the church and tell them about what God is doing. And we can say to these people, when they're in the middle of the trial and the test, so let's say you live in Diamond Bar or you live you know, uh, in Chino like I do or Ontario and you meet your neighbor and they, they, they come to know Jesus like you do and you're telling them, you're sitting across the table with them at Starbucks and they're telling you how difficult it is and how hard it is and how they don't know how they're going to endure this. You can look them in the eye and say, I know exactly how you feel. I've been there. I've gone through this test and God is going to take care of you the way he took care of me. And that creates hope for our city. Whatever city you live in, right? That's hope. And then finally, hope for the future. Uh, we look forward to the future. We look forward to the day when God finishes the work. 
We know that even when it's hard and things don't get better quickly, that God is, is he's going to finish the story where he started. That he started the story with people who loved him with all of his heart and all of their minds and all their souls and all their strengths. And they were created for good work on a good earth with a good God forever. And that we're going to end there. And that, that carries us forward. That's, that's the crown of life that James is talking about. So whether it's hope for you, hope for your family, hope for whatever city you're in, or hope for the future. I hope that you, you're encouraged by James today. So I'm going to ask that the, the band come up, and I'd like to just go through some next steps you can take. The first next step, uh, if you could uh, go up to there, is identify an evil desire that God may be trying to cure you of through your testing. You go through a test, it may be that God is trying to get you to love him more than something else. Is there a desire that you're saying yes to that's actually causing you to love it more than love God? That may be what he's doing. Number two, turn to God and ask for help in the middle of temptation this week. Turn to God and ask for help in the middle of temptation this week. I face temptation, you face temptation, and it's just easy to cave. But as you can see, if we say, pray, and obey, God will help us. And then... For the first time, maybe you're, you're not a Christian or, you know, you've just started to get more serious and interested in God. And as you've been coming around here or maybe other churches or in some way you have a pit, you understand who you are and who God is and, and how he loves you and how he wants to have a relationship with you. And you want to have a relationship with him. You're ready for that. We would love to help you. So let us know if you're deciding for the first time to commit your life to Christ. And finally, next week we're going to be looking at uh, when you need to act. And the passage of Scripture we're looking at is James 1, 19 through 27. So please come back, and if you want to get ahead, read that passage to kind of get your mind ready for what God may want to teach you next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the word that you've given us. We thank you for how you're not abandoning us in this world. We really do trust you. We know that you'll be good and that you'll help us. So please help us. Help us keep the hopes that we have in mind and help us to... Um, to endure in the middle of the test so that we can be ready for the work you have for us and so that we can become the people that you've always wanted us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.